0: From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Braceley, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
1: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just me this week, uh, but we have uh, an expert in this industry here uh, to really kind of uh, talk to us really about application deployments and, and dig a little bit into containers as well. And so I'd like to welcome to the show Rahul Ravelar, co-founder and CEO of App Orbit. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, thank you for having me on the show.
1: Yes, absolutely. So Rahul, g- give everyone a brief introduction and a little bit uh, uh, about your background uh, prior to uh, coming to App Orbit.
0: Uh, absolutely. So uh, I'll spare uh, uh, all the all the details, but do the relevant pieces. Uh, <laughs> sure. I've been in the industry for uh, about twenty years. I started my career as a software developer at a startup uh, in Marimba, um, and which did application distribution and. Uh, I um, um, actually ended up managing the engineering platform team. The company got acquired by BMC Software uh, as part of their entire kind of, configuration management uh, uh, story right uh, back in 2005, uh, 2003. Um, and I stayed on with BMC for about a year and then made a transition into product management um, at a, a smallish company called VMware at the time uh, back in 2005. Um, and we started off as the uh, the product manager for Virtual center, which is the their systems management platform and uh, the idea there was to really build out the entire management platform for um, uh, uh, for the virtualization uh, which was kind of taking hold across all the data centers right and, um, and so we built uh, essentially a i would say a really rich ecosystem uh, along with us both internal, uh, VMware built, as well as uh, third-party uh, solutions on top of it, uh, over the next uh, you know five seven years, and that was actually a great ride. And worked with a lot of different companies across the ecosystem, and got wide wide. I would say uh, uh, exposure to storage, networking, op- operations management, uh, security, right, which all kind of plugged into uh, vCenter. Um, and then uh, uh, I ran the product management team for availability products like uh, HA Backup, Replication, Disaster Recovery at VMware uh, before coming up with the idea on AppOrbit.
1: And uh, here I am. And and, and so tell us a little bit about because it's always fascinating to hear from folks that were that were there in the 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 early days of VMware, if you will. And so you got to see certainly your share of challenges and growing pains. And and so and because you were in in many different groups and we'll talk about, you know, kind of the later journey here in a second. But tell us a little bit about those early days and those early challenges, especially around, uh, you know, the management and availability ability and and how that kind of con- compares and contrasts to 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 today
0: Yeah no it is a fascinating time and uh, I really enjoyed my time there I met a great lot of great people at VMware. but uh, we went through this kind of phase of you know really this hockey stick growth right that you hear about where we we built the great virtualization platform, right which is esX. And um, and um, you know, build the kind of management platform to go essentially manage this, but it was the growth was unprecedented. Right? I mean, it was not something we expected, right? So we had built uh, the vCenter was you know, architected to manage you know tens of hosts really, right? And we had customers saying, well, I'm going to virtualize all my data centers. There's ten thousand hosts, and I want all the management um, to be kind of plugged into this from a security standpoint, storage standpoint, network standpoint, and what we saw was how do we kind of go about doing this and how do we work with the ecosystem? Because clearly it's not going to be a, just a VMware-based world, right? So there are a lot of other partners that we had to kind of bring along the journey as well. And what we saw it was interesting from a customer standpoint was uh, this convergence of roles, right? So first we kind of had this like virtualization admin, who was this guy, you know, is in the corner of the room, you know, who who was just hacking away and doing this weird kind of virtualization stuff. And then like two years later, you come back and he's at the head of the table, right? And uh, he is actually kind of really leading the data center transformation initiatives, right? Because it actually made such a big impact and people have seen such a huge ROI in terms of what virtualization brought in, right, onto the table. And uh, and so, and then you kind of saw that, so that was kind of the infrastructure team becoming the virtualization admin. Then over the next few years, we saw kind of the storage teams kind of converging as well, right? So the storage admins and the infrastructure admins are, because of such a high degree of overlap and uh, interface between the two, they actually kind of became one team, right? And now, of course, you're seeing the network storage and, uh, uh, infrastructure admins all kind of becoming part of the same one team, right? And that's that shift is happening as well. Um, so I would say there's a lot of key lessons to be learned, right? Well, based on what we saw there is adoption, once you actually have the right value uh, points uh, established, actually happens quite, quite rapidly. Um, and the second is really understanding your users um, and how it impacts them. You start seeing uh, a, a, a very you start synthesizing from a management interface how all of the, all these things stick together, right? Um, one one final point I should make is, on you mentioned availability, and this is where I kind of I call this the democratization of availability, right? Which is what VMware did really phenomenally well. Uh, we have a uh, I still say we, uh, uh, but VMware had a really good uh, product called HA, right? High availability. And they made that easily available at the cluster level. So it was just a checkbox turned on by default. So virtual machines that are deployed were automatically highly available. So this is what you kind of see with, you know, today with the consumer economy, right? You know, Uber is so easily accessible. I just click and I get it, right? And it works. Um, and I what happens is I end up using, I end up essentially using Uber a lot more than I used yellow yellow cabs, right, before. Uh, Similarly, with HA, we saw such a high attach rate uh, that um, between, you know, before having HA, the percentage of application, I'm going to get this wrong, probably I don't have the facts at the top of my head, was actually a really a small fraction of what happened later on once VMware made HA the default, right? So making things easily consumable, very easily uh, 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 essentially attached to the services that customers can consume... uh, use fine actually uh, people are using that a lot more as well
1: yeah and and if i could add to that for a second as well so so what we're really talking about is is how do you make that that infrastructure layer easily and like you said you know ha was just a tech, uh, was just a checkbox and you then you got to drs with vmotion and everything kind of just that's when all this kind of magic happened at the infrastructure layer but but to your point it was extremely easy to do as opposed to, say, you know, VMware FT, the fault tolerance one, which if you check that checkbox, things got really hard really quickly. Um, <laughs> and so so uh, l- let me pull that forward then or maybe up higher in the stack for a second. And let's talk about, okay, if that was the infrastructure layer, uh, um, I don't want to say commoditization, but customization. and if we move up to the application layer, what we really did is we, we improved availability without changing the application, but, but now we're starting to be, get into a world where we're moving up layer and in, into that, the uh, a more modern application deployment se- scenario. And, and what are the challenges you see at the application layer these days? And then we'll, we'll kind of get into legacy and cloud native here in a second, but let's start at the, at the higher level first
0: yeah um so th- this uh, is actually kind of the heart of you know why we decided to come out and start App orbit right because uh what vmware did really well is, is as you said it's kind of the you know maybe uh, making this infrastructure becoming really marginalized right in a way right so you could earlier in the day you needed to worry about the drivers and specific hardware applications were running on or And now you just needed to worry about the virtual machine as long as it was a VMware virtual machine it just worked on any kind of hardware. But that's kind of where the value stopped, right? But if you look at it from a customer standpoint, what is it that the request an IT team gets? It's, I have my billing application and I want to actually get this new update deployed. I want it to be highly available. I want it to be DR ready. I want it to have this kind of performance and capacity, right? It's all the requests are really coming from the application level, right? But the response of the industry, uh, all, all really everyone, was kind of bottoms up, right? You set up your infrastructure, you set up a storage, Luns pair them, protection groups, get everything set up, get up your set up your virtual machines, and then you deploy your applications, right? So it's completely bottom up. Um, so the uh, our kind of idea was to really say that let's actually have the direct- directive really be an application-defined directive where applications describe what they need and the infrastructure exposes a set of capabilities, right, in terms of capacity, security, performance, and then be able to really map that together, right? And the reason this became really compelling, I would say, and it's become really compelling over the last, like, three, four years, is two big shifts have happened, right? One is around infrastructure, which is clearly, you know, the rise of public cloud and you can... To a large extent, I would say you could go to most of the clouds, and they are kind of the same, right? Uh, there is slight uh, amount of differences, but from an infrastructure standpoint, they're very similar. And there are, but there are different reasons why customers may end up choosing different clouds. Um, but it's more the agility of why you actually uh, how quickly you can get that virtual machine that really is very important because it is a the second point, which is it's a software driven economy, right? And so what is happening is the number of applications and the number of application updates that are being done has just grown exponentially, right? And every company is now really trying to, is a software company, and is trying to figure out how to really make their application delivery chain efficient, like as efficient as possible and as agile as possible without forgetting all the security and availability uh, best practices that they've built in over the past few years, right? So how do I get that agility with guardrails, right? From that standpoint, and uh, and this is where we say, um, uh, the idea what what we really went behind was to build an application platform, right? And we're calling that a modern application platform that allows you to really be able to create these applications and be able to move and uh, through the entire and move it through the entire application lifecycle uh, as efficiently as possible in terms of both operational costs and and uh, Uh, capital expenditure as well right infrastructure costs as well and
1: and and how do you differentiate Let, let let me just ask this real quickly how do you differentiate between and i'm using air quotes here you just can't see them of the the Cloud native applications versus the the legacy applications, right? This is something that's been an ongoing topic on this show for for years now, quite frankly. And and what we see is okay. You can almost put you know most applications out there in one of these two buckets: cloud native, the twelve factor apps, the microservices, and then the legacy. And if they go to cloud, it's more of a lift and shift mentality at best. Um, but we we see we've seen the thinking behind all of this evolve, um, over the life cycle of this podcast. And what I mean by that is originally, you know, as everything went to cloud, every, everything's got to be cloud native. And then people realized rewriting your app is hard. And then folks kind of went to the, well, we're going to do lift and shift, but then they realized lift and shift is expensive and it's, and all you have is the same crappy operations you had before. Um, and so, so how has, the the thinking, in your opinion, in your view, evolved over these last few years as customers have, have come to kind of understand these differences in the industry?
0: Yeah, no, this, is, this is a great question because uh, you're right. Uh, traditionally, I think people have looked at it as an either-or, right? I either take my, you know, like it's, it's these legacy or traditional applications and just move them, in which case, yeah, I've gotten the infrastructure modernization. I can run it on a cloud and it's elastic and I'm pay by, pay by the drink, right, if you will. Um, but it's not really kind of move the needle in terms of the application lifecycle, right? Or I actually rewrite my applications, which is really expensive because that's my touching my most expensive and most valuable resource, my engineering team, right? Because that needs to get involved here. And so that limits the ability to which I can actually do this. Um, The way actually what we are seeing this now is that people are kind of viewing this more as a continuum rather than a kind of a two-pronged approach, right? So if you look at it as infrastructure modernization, which is like the lift and shift as kind of the first step, then you can kind of see the next step maybe as being around the data, right? Essentially kind of breaking the application up into different components. I have the binaries and I have the data. And if I can actually manage my data sets separately and be able to plug that in, that actually would be a good way of doing that, right? Then the next step is, okay, if I actually need to move towards a cloud-based infrastructure, what are the different types of services that I can actually avail, right? So you mentioned, like, for example, DRS earlier, which does scheduling of your uh, application components across different you know, infrastructure, right, like compute and storage and so on, based on these different constraints. What is the equivalent of that? How do I actually do the scheduling? Now, if you see what is happening in the container-based world, it actually, there are some, like, I would say amazing kind of technologies that are available now with things like Kubernetes, right. That does scheduling and provides that in a very sophisticated manner. Right. So how can I go leverage that at that point? So, but to do that now, I need to take my applications that were coupled into particular infrastructure, right. And be able to maybe decouple that and actually be able to schedule that. Um, there is, there is uh, I think, a step actually before that, which I skipped, which was, how do I actually describe my application? And there is really no good description, traditional description of an application, right? right? But now if I actually can map my application to a set of application templates, and again, I go back to like, you know, container frameworks, and there have been others too in the past with virtual machine-based frameworks that didn't really take off at the time because they coupled the infrastructure and the applications together. The container frameworks did a good job of Decoupling that, right, and said, oh, this is, these are my application components that talk to each other based on these different networking and security policies, and these are the binaries, right, uh, that are in there. And now I have can uh, take all these different aspects together, orchestrated with things like Kubernetes, then plug in the data. So now I have a set of all these different building blocks that can that touch different teams, going back to my point earlier the people who care about all these different components are distributed across different functions in the organization, right? Traditionally, which is probably the most difficult part, actually, that affects companies is how do I get my existing teams and orgs the way they are set up to be functional in this kind of modern Agile world, right? And so, uh, and then the last step I would say is, okay, how do I make this cloud portable? So, uh, which is... That's great now if I'm actually going to move it from one cloud to the other. And I hear this from customers now is, but what if like this changes? What if my preferred cloud changes two or three years from now? Do I undertake all of this exercise again? Right. So I've just moved from my on-premise data center to, let's say, using one of the more popular cloud vendors today. But they're all innovating at a different pace. And what if another cloud becomes my preferred cloud for machine learning? And that's the one that I have a good business relationship with do I do a migration all over again? So I don't want to do that. How do I make sure I'm architecting for a hybrid cloud world? Uh, How do I, uh, not just for um, cost reasons, but also for availability or security or just business relationship or performance reasons, because I need to have my data and applications be pinned to certain locations right across the world. So uh, that's the multi-cloud journey from that standpoint. And then finally, I would say, is your is your kind of evolution towards complete microservices-based teams, which is where I would say this is the most expensive way you want to be able to do that, right? And uh, But that actually gives you a way to organize your teams exactly around different shards of the application that are being, um, that have their own different life cycle but have explicit interfaces that can talk to each other. And there are benefits along the way as you go from this lift and shift to this extreme right, uh, around these microservices based applications, and um, uh, really that's where customers are looking at is how do I really be able to kind of move the needle for not just like three or four of my applications, but I have fifteen hundred applications right that I have been that are under active management um, not not that the, not that they are uh, you know going to get retired. I actually have fifteen hundred applications in the active management. And my fixed cost to actually manage these applications is 70 to 80% of my budget, right? So anything I can do to really optimize that and actually move the needle in terms of being more um, responsive to the business, it actually has a lot of high business value, right? And so that's, that's where we are seeing the conversation shifting now to a more nuanced, more informed way of looking at how do I become more impactful to the business uh, based on that?
1: Yeah, that, and that makes perfect sense. And, and Rahul, how, how are customers – so you, first of all, let, let me clarify, and there's a link in the show notes. Um, AppOrbit recently launched version 2.0 of the platform, but, but how are customers using AppOrbit today? What are some of the use cases they're, they're using this for and what are some of the problems they're solving?
0: Yeah, so uh, the there I would say there's two big aspects around where customers see value with us. So we built a modern application platform, right? And our uh, which is based on containers, and we also support virtual machines for Windows-based workloads. The uh, but the big uh, uh, aspect that what customers really like about us is the fact that we our unit of management, like I said, is the application. And when we talk about an application, it's actually we coined this term called the application capsule, right? Which is it ha- it is everything. It is about the the compute, right? The binaries uh, the, and your code, but also your your data that plugs into this application, right? And the networking and security in terms of how all these different components actually connect together, right? So we go back to the application. Like I was talking about the billing service, I have a set of Oracle servers that talk to, let's say, a Siebel CRM with a set of Java application servers and all the networking and security functions, all of these coming together. And I want to say, I want to go actually deploy this, I want to update this, I want to clone it, I want to snapshot it, so I get this entire application lifecycle management for that capsule, right? Um, And the idea uh, what customers really, um, one of the uh, use cases we are seeing is similar to what, like, virtual machines did, right, in the VM environment, where I could actually very efficiently create these virtual machines and update them. Now I can actually create these entire application environments and be able to um, really uh, create them, update them, snapshot them, clone them, uh, roll them back, right, to different versions at a small fraction of the cost, right, than what I could do earlier. So just to make this a little bit tangible, we we have a customer that, had a uh, application um, uh, release uh, cadence of about twelve months, right, for one application, and this is like the crown jewels, very expensive application, and a big part of that was to create these application environments, was taking them up to about forty-five days, right, uh, because it was about fifteen servers that need to be set up. Uh, it was all being done on a VMware-based environment. They wanted to go to the cloud at some point, but um, they wanted to stick with VMware for now. And so, what uh, this particular customer actually ended up doing is uh, using uh, App Orbit. They could actually create these application templates, data templates, and refresh them with the application lifecycle. So I can actually create new versions of the application templates, get new versions of uh, data templates as well. But now I can actually create. A developer can come in and create this application environment in in 30 to 35 minutes, right? As opposed to what used to take 45 days. So I will really reduce the cost in terms of what time it takes. And these are the hidden costs that actually add up, right? And that's what causes application, the application lifecycle to, to, to get really long, right? So that's one. The second is because now I can create these environments at this small cost, I can actually do things that are what I call like high-fidelity testing, right? So I can actually create an environment that exactly looks like what my production environment is going to look like. And I can actually get the right version, and I can do that as well, right, At the in the application context. And then the last part about this is, yes, this actually now gets me ready to go to the cloud. So this, again, this customer is still in VMware. They're not moved to the cloud yet. But this exact um, environment that's running with App Orbit now, with a single click, can actually be moved to the cloud as well, right? So they get this ability to essentially go stretch into the cloud At any point when they either run out of resources or they decide, they won't actually start using a public cloud resource right? from that standpoint. So that's one use case that we see a lot actually with customers is taking these traditional applications, right, which they've invested millions of dollars in over the past five, seven, ten years, and not necessarily have to feel like I need to completely rewrite it to get these uh, benefits, but be able to actually get the benefits of these modern applications platforms by using uh, products like AppPorter, which modernizes it, and then the ability to go in and uh, 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 to actually kind of accelerate the application lifecycle to market.
1: And, And anytime we talk about rapid provisioning, cloning of production data, you know, reusing that data in a different way, my mind immediately jumps to, security and so tell us a little bit about how do we make sure that we provide that that production data to the right people but at the same time still maintaining application security
0: yeah um uh, so security is a i would say you know multi approach right that you need to uh, take security so there is one of the aspects that you highlighted is is, is become um hot topic now, right, is around data security. I have personally identifiable or PII data that's sitting in my production environment. It has you know, customers' names or, you know, maybe their birth dates and uh, addresses and social security numbers maybe or even their credit card numbers. And that access to that data needs to be protected. Uh, I can't make that available to my uh, other kind of unauthorized users but the issue is that i want actually as a application development team i want to have the kind of the uh, a, a test environment which is very representative of production so that when i actually do that push to production it things work right because i've actually tested what i think is going to be out there in production so you kind of have this tension right now right you have this tension around compliance, but the ability to eliminate risk. And so how do you get the best of the, both both these worlds? And so what uh, we provide is the ability to manage data as an object. For us, as I was talking about this application stack, and one part of that is the data. And the data of, for that particular application is exposed to them as a data template. And those data templates, just like application templates, have a a data pipeline where you can extract the data from, let's say, production systems based on um, the types, whether it's databases or flat files, you can extract them out and then go through a series of steps to either subset and mass the data of this BI information. So you could set up a set of rules that say, uh, one of the customers' names maybe to be scrambled, I want the birth dates to be offset by a random date within six months, um, social security numbers to be scrambled such that there's still 10 d- digits with a right so essentially having the right constraints in, in order. but you set up those things once and that and set it up as a data pipeline, and now what a developer can say is, I actually want a copy of my production like data, and they can extract that and make it available as an object, right number one. And that can be, you now. I get a copy of production-like data, but without all the, the uh, I would say, the, the PII information, and that's available for me to go use, right? So that, that's one. So that's actually a big, um, uh, I would say, a win that we can see uh, customers have is they get the best of security, compliance, and um, eliminating the risk as well, right? Um, the The second aspect, which is... Uh, relatively new that we just introduced with App Switch is App Switch is our uh, application-defined network, which um, what it does is it allows you to uh, specify the networking and security policies at a very, very fundamental level, very close to the application, um, and the the. Why this is actually required is again it goes back to I have a lot a lot of applications that are being updated very rapidly, and they're actually running in a multi-tenant fashion, right? So, so now I have a cluster, right? I have a large compute farm with storage, on which I have many applications being deployed, but many of these applications of them, some of them may be actually a need to be restricted, not being able to actually talk to the others and vice versa, right? So what AppSwitch does is it allows you to actually specify all these networking and security policies in a way that even though these applications are running co-resident on the same cluster, they're completely isolated based on the networking and security policies that are defined. And these policies are something we allow you to define it in that same application template as I was saying. It's a simple configuration file, like a YAML configuration file. We can specify these. And now what that does is now you can actually shift this entire definition way up in the application lifecycle. So this actually solves another problem now, which is when these applications are changing, so let's say you introduce a new app store, you need to expose a new port, that typically what happens is those changes need to be communicated to the ops team further down the line in a war room or something, right, which is where you actually do these specifications, but the persons who actually know this are the application architects, right? They've actually made that definition. And so because you're moving all these kind of, uh, we're giving the controls essentially in this very simple file that can be actually specified earlier, these policies, they can and they have a life cycle of their own, they can be easily uh, visualized, they can be, you can compare them, you can see what changed. And that knowledge essentially travels with the application through the application lifecycle. So now again, you get that agility. You get the because you have the visibility and the control to see what is changing as well. that search is, is what essentially makes that possible now. And there's this entire kind of term which the industry is calling netsec ops, right? Like uh, ne- network security operations, which it enables as well with uh, uh, with <clears> that
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it, it's. It's really nice to see that level of consideration being given because, um, you know, what, one thing I have found in, uh, you know, really talking to other uh, folks and, and in the industry is what an issue it is becoming of, you know, for the longest time, it, it was it was difficult to recreate the environments. And, and so, you know, you just kind of let's take test dev. You just did something like that um, with what you had available. Right. But, but then we, as the industry advances, we get, um, instant cloning, we get fast cloning, we get the ability to do production, but that be that definitely comes with its own unique set of challenges, whether it's security or otherwise. And so it's nice to see the industry further evolving to address some of these challenges and issues. So, so with that, um, uh, Rahul, how can everyone find out more about you, about App Orbit, and, and everything else y'all have uh, going on?
0: Um, so definitely, a website is a good place uh, for uh, to see if you are constantly pushing new updates. There's actually a lot we've announced recently, and there's more coming uh, with uh, videos. We also have uh, for folks who are in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, next week. We have a um, you know, large meetup is what you could call it, an uh, event at the uh, Tech Museum in San Jose. It's on the Thursday. Um, so everyone's welcome to join us. Uh, it's a donation to the Tech Museum, suggested donation uh, uh, to the Tech Museum, uh, but uh, love to, uh, we are actually supporting them there. Uh, but they're going to be customers. They're going to be some good case, uh, uh, case studies. Uh, we're going to have some uh, demos as well outside. Um, But um, otherwise, uh, I'd say we'll keep a look at our website on Twitter.
1: Fantastic. Well, Rahul, thank you very much for your time. And on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, and myself, uh, thank you very much to everyone for listening. And we'll talk to everyone next week.
0: Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.